Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to Slay House Presents. We are here today for a special episode with Tracy Cross. Tracy Cross is a horror writer based in Washington, D.C., She is an active member of the Horror Writers Association and was a recipient of the association's Scholarship from Hell in 2022. Root Work is her first published novel. For more information about Tracy or to catch up on her latest exploits, you can visit her website at tracycrossonline.com. Welcome, Tracy. We're really excited to have you on the program today. Hi, Tracy. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it on this cold, cold November afternoon. <laughs> That's what November's for, I feel like. It's it's like we should have at least some cool weather and then uh, just like a week where we can all quit our jobs for like three days and just gorge on food and uh, not go outside. <laughs> I feel like that's November for me. Yeah, well, yeah, but normally it's a little warmer. Even <laughs> in Ohio, where I'm from, it's a little warmer. So I'm just kind of disappointed in November this year, because now Thanksgiving is going to just be running from the car to the whatever, and then <laughs> from the whatever to the car, like, who has a remote starter? We're all getting that car. We're not going to sit in the, <laughs> the thing to warm up. We're just going to run, y'all. Come on, you know. That's why I told my wife, I said, we're, we're, we're doing Thanksgiving here, and if anybody wants to join us, they can, but we're not doing the running around, like... <laughs> Lucky you! I should come down there. I have to go some some place where my family is having some kind of gathering, and they're <laughs> making pie. Right? You're making apple pie from scratch. They make like really great apple pie, and I'm like, you know, it's bad enough y'all got me getting up and bathing, and then you want me to like cook <laughs> and bring food. Jesus, you just ask for some blood next time. Go <laughs> well, you would always be welcome here, and you wouldn't have to do at least. Two of those things. I don't know. I, I will take whatever two they are. <laughs> <laughs> I to, I I totally get it. My family, for uh, or at least my wife's uh, family, for a long time, uh, was completely oblivious to the fact that like I can actually cook things. Um, so I would just show up to these events and be like, "Hey, yeah, this is a great spread," and that was like my my total engagement. Uh, but then she had to blab that I actually know how to cook things. And now they're like demanding that I bring dishes. And that's just like a level of commitment. I don't know that I'm ready for. <laughs> oh my gosh. My uncle, such a great cook. And it was, um, so my mom and my mom's side of their family's from the South. And as is my dad, my dad was just like the only Yankee born <laughs> up in Ohio. But, um, there was one year where, like, I don't eat pork, which is, like, blasphemous. blasphemous. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what, y'all? Like, I can't, like, every year I would go, and there's, like, there's collard greens with pork in it, and then there's this, and then there's pork juice in this, and there's pork in it. I'm like, I cannot. And then, so I'd sit there and look like, you know, I'm like, is there pork in the macaroni? Like, is there pork juice in the pork water? But then finally, one year I just said, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to make an entire Thanksgiving meal with no pork. And you would have thought that I would have just personally stabbed baby Jesus in the eye. They were like, no way. So I cooked the entire meal 
with no pork. And they were like, they were like are you serious? So there's no pork in none of this. And I'm like, no, because this is how regular people eat that don't want to die at the age of 12. You know, no, this is fine. So after that, then it becomes like, oh, well, Tracy's coming and she'll cook something. I'm like, no, y'all not cooking nothing. And then, so my uncle, he's a really great cook. He fried a turkey once. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, oh, yeah. And he has this whole spread out in his backyard. And I'm so excited, right? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to see how turkey's fried. Go out there. And he's like, um, you may want to move back uh, <laughs> further, yeah. further, further. And I'm like, but you're all the way over there. And I'm like, I'm all the way over here. And he's like, the grease will splatter. Like, What's the best I've not had a fried turkey since he fried that one and he made like peach cobbler and all this other stuff and I'm looking at him like why don't you cook more often like why <laughs> you need to come down here and he just you know, was like, it's <laughs> it's incredible how good fried turkey really is um I had I had never had it until coming to Arkansas and then uh Kate's fam is is just She's so they're they're all into frying everything and uh and they make a fried turkey every year. It's incredible. <laughs> it's juicy and if you season it right, it's just like manna from heaven. And of course, it's Arkansas. Like even fry water down there, I'm sure. I get mad. <laughs> That's right. If it if it can be fried, it will be fried. Let's just make up a batter, put some water in it, and then we'll fry it. We're good. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's put about some right. Gravy on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about root work. Um, this is your first novel. I love this book. Um, yeah, this, this book this is, book. uh, we, we, you were just talking about reviews, um, and that the reviews kind of coming in for root work. Um, I was just amazed by it. Uh, I have not read a book with dialogue, you know, this realistic. I, I can't, I can't let go of the dialogue. I just, it, it, we've been talking about craft for the last couple of episodes on the show. And uh, we just recorded an episode talking about dialogue and, and it's like, I couldn't shut up about how well you handle dialogue in this book. Um, But it's really exciting. Spotify then. Let me just go on and do this now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a a really interesting book. So I want to hear from you a little bit um, just about, you know, kind of the origin of this story and what kind of propelled you um, or compelled you to to write it. And uh, it's, you know, it's part of a series. So... um, if you would just, you know, kind of share with us a little bit about, you know, the genesis of this novel. You're just trying to get out of me book two and book three. (laughs) I mean, I am dying to know what happens for sure, but. Butter it up, butter it up. Okay. Well, um, so root work is actually, there's one pivotal event that you guys know that I'm surprised no one's given away. So I'm so thankful. I mean, we're trying really hard not to, but it is difficult because there's so much to talk about. Yeah, it's a thing that happens. But um, (laughs) so basically my grandma, before she died, um, and she died like of natural causes. And she died and she was just like, you know, I spent my time with the people I was going to spend my time with. And if you ain't getting no time, then the hell with you. I'm out. So she told I she told me about growing up in the parish down in Louisiana when she was little. And then she told me the story of pretty much what happened in Root Work. She told me this and it was so 
like I was just sitting there like what like people spoke (laughs) to you like this I mean we're living in super woke times now but imagine if you take us and put us back like the old times for all this you can't Mm. say that you can't say that so (laughs) yeah we'd all be pariahs but um (laughs) she uh was, was telling me and I was sitting there I'm thinking like oh this is good oh I have to remember this because Here's the thing. If you don't write down or remember the past, when your ancestors or other people are gone, who is there left to tell the story if Mm. you don't tell it? You know, so I said, I got to I got to write this story out. And I had just grown up with hearing all of these like they may not think it was fabulous, but the way that it sounds, I thought it was fabulous. I mean, my mom, like had spent summers in New Orleans, you know, when she was like a kid. And I'm like, do you understand how fabulous that is? And she was <laughs> like in such a slight, like, really? You know, and I'm just like, no, mom, like for real, for real. Like your grandfather married a, a voodoo priestess and then you got like blessings and all of this stuff. And she's like, well, yeah. And then she says things like, well, this just doesn't have the same feel. I'm sorry, mom, you know, like, really? (laughs) You know, like, it's gone through, like, so many things. And when you were down there, it just felt even more pure in, like, the Mm. early 60s that you just, Mm. I could not even imagine. I couldn't even fathom it. But um, I decided to take all, like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of my childhood, and make the entire book root work an homage to my family. So to my mom and my father's side, because they all, the stories that my dad's side of the family told me were very harrowing. And because (laughs) his dad lived in Alabama. So, and even my mother, I was talking to her in conversation and she said, you know, um, when I was growing up, she's like, you know, you heard like black people just don't go to Alabama. And then she goes, here I go meeting your father's people. And they're like, we're from Alabama. And she's like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Arkansas is nothing compared to Alabama. And (laughs) I'm going to save that story from Alabama that they told me about my granddad for another day. Because even my dad, when I told him, he was like, he told you that story? And I'm like, oh yeah, he told me that story. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But it's it's just so horrible. So anyway, I was just like, you know, I, I wanted to write the story. And then I wanted to capture the cadence of it because it's so hard to write that way without like a million apostrophes and dashes and stuff. Like if you look at like, uh, I want to say the color purple, but I haven't looked at it lately, but it's just, you see it and it's almost written phonetically, you know, like Mm -hmm. you see something. So I said, okay, I wanted to get more of an authentic feel. So I talked to my, my friend who um, has a degree in like, uh, I almost said fairy tale What the hell? I need (laughs) She has a degree in folklore. So, and like all of their win with it. And she turned me on this Zora Neale Hurston stuff. And I was like, mm. oh, cool. So I'm reading this Zora Neale Hurston. And even Zora wrote, like, in these high, you know, phonetics, yep. kind of. So I'm like, we have to find a way to bridge the gap. I don't want people to feel alienated because they are not 
black reading this, but then I don't want to alienate black folks that are. Mm -hmm. So therein lies the rub, right? Because the copy I turned in, oh my God, you just it it was written as it was sound. So it's like I'm sure gonna knock you in, in the head and it's <laughs> H O apostrophe so i had a really great editor i had two editors that worked on this but this the marissa is a really great editor dark heart publishing and we came up with the happy medium and then rob the um owner of the company went back over it and he's like yeah you've got to give like when they do the audio book you have to give them space to interpret so we're going to have to take Mm. this down a notch and I was like I don't want to lose though the authenticity of it I don't want to lose that which makes it special because there's not so many books out here that are special like this like you can read Mm -hmm. something like urban fiction which is in the now but you can't find anything that's written like this unless you like look back and you just like like I was reading um Puddinghead Wilson and I'm just like oh my god (laughs) oh my god you know just mark twain it's a good story but these this is not no no again don't take a now person and put them back in the den because it's not going to work but i figured that um this could work now so what i did was i took the story that my grandma told me and i added elements of all of my great aunts and great uncles and everybody so each character has some characteristics of like my aunt my mom's sister who passed um my great aunts and stuff and i put them all together and just laid it out there and i was happy with what i came up with in the end but i was worried you know because my editor you just he's like oh my god like please don't send this back to me and just have it like <laughs> In like regular English because I was just I just I kept saying like don't take away the authenticity don't take away the authenticity mm-hmm. which you know and I don't want to say it like this but I'm just like please don't whiten it up don't whiten it up like leave it <laughs> and she heard me and when people like hear what you're saying and go for it and do that it makes you feel so much better because if you just imagine if we wrote it in like the times of now Mm. This would not be as compelling as it would be like, well, my pronouns are she and her and da 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 da, da. And It just would not be the same. <laughs> all. It's like, why are you trampling on the grass? You know, that poor snake, you've like totally whatever with it. You know, just a lot of the things that happen. But yeah, yeah. I, I took, you know, I, I like it. I took like the things that I knew. And then of course I had to add some things that I didn't know, like cooking like in the south i didn't know mm-hmm. i mean you would think like okay there's there's like native americans and, and it's louisiana so it's like you right. know it's a mix of everybody from everywhere from spain and france and everything so i'm sitting there and i'm trying to imagine like what food would smell like back then and you know my simple self was like well spices have to be stronger because we are weak as a people so everything is so (laughs) (laughs) you know i just like i'm just imagining like the you know you're walking and cornbread smells like cornbread you know Mm -hmm. i made myself hungry and i'd stop writing and go (laughs) 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 like going downhill rapidly but yeah that's the gist of root work that's the whole thing that's fabulous. Like dinner for it, you know, that would be 
super awesome. I didn't. I just thought about that. Have like a huge root work dinner spread. That would be nice. You know That'd that. Really but, good. That's a sounds like you need to pitch that to to Dark Heart Books and say, hey, you know, the, the next event we do, we're gonna, you know, put out this spread. That'd be a lot of fun for people to show up to. It would just be fried ocean perch. That's all. <laughs> All right, I'm like, Mom, can you fry some walleye? Or, you know, she's Southern. I love my mom's fried stuff. What can I say? Yeah. I finally, like, trained her to stop putting a little pinch of pork juice in it. So it's just now it tastes like <laughs> Mom, don't use that bacon stuff. You remember the last time you used it? I got so sick. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, I thought that was just, you know, something. Like, no, I haven't had pork in, like, 40 years. That's <laughs> That's something. <laughs> I had a buddy who uh his his wife uh was like really vegan and um and he he switched to an like basically an all vegan uh diet with her and then after they divorced he was like all right I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh and for like a solid week it was just torture because uh he he went back to like eating meat and it just wrecked his whole his whole <laughs> digestive system. My my wife won't eat. She won't eat pork or red meat, but she'll eat chicken and fish and stuff. And so she might be having like a vegetarian thing. And I've got a burger, and I'm like, um, oh, so good. Um. I guess you want to make it extra bloody, extra raw. <laughs> it's blood is rolling down your face, and you're like, you want to give me a kiss, baby? <laughs> so I I think one of the wonderful things about rework is you know, coming back to that idea of authenticity. Um, and it was something that, that again, we were discussing in our, um, our episode on, on dialogue, which we, we haven't released yet as of this taping, but, um, it should be coming out pretty soon. Um, but, but one of the things we were talking about was like the use of dialect, um, and, and the, the use of that particular kind of voice in, um, your writing and like when does it have a place and when doesn't it have a place and I think one of the sticking points is like there are a lot of white authors out there who um, want to use dialect for their uh, characters of color mm-hmm. but it does not sound authentic because it's always kind of a, a voice of mimicry right um, and because so frequently I think characters of color are not the focus of white stories um, there ends up being kind of like a tokenism um, that results from an overuse of dialect. It's it's kind of like um, leaning too far into like caricature or, yes. you know, leaning into, um, uh, you know, stereotype, which I think is really unfortunate because that's not the kind of representation that is needed in literature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that like your use of dialect adds a, a real air of authenticity to the, to this story. I mean, not only is it set in, you know, turn of the century, Louisiana, um, but I think too, it, it, you know, the characters sound like they live in this space, right? It sounds like the culture of, um, of, of their lives. And so the way that they, it, and it's not just the dialects, it's also the way that they talk to one another. Um, there's kind of just a, a, again just an authenticity of spirit there you know these are our characters real characters speaking in the language that they would of course authentically use being from the south with mm-hmm. one another 
Um, and I, I haven't seen that in a lot of literature. I'm not the most well-read individual on the planet, but, you know, I've, I've read a lot of stuff and, you know, like you were mentioning, um, like Hurston or, um, Mark Twain, you know, these are, are typically the only, you know, dialects that we really do see in, in literature when we're doing literary studies. So I think it's, it's really awesome to have a book this authentic, you know, this true to its own voice, um, you know, with, with characters who, who interact with each other, you know, meaningfully. Mm -hmm. Well, so here's the secret. Um, so I have like two sisters and a brother and, uh, then I grew up around my cousins. So it was always, because, when like you're I grew up in like the 70s the late 70s early 80s so it was the time of like get out and don't come home till the street lights come on you know and it it Mm. was like basically you were on your own until lunchtime so we would play a lot of games we would go see a lot of people um and I remember my mom would always take us over to her mom's house because there were more kids over there that we could play with as opposed to taking over to my, my grandma's house, my dad's mom, where there was more like, Tracy, you have to learn how to be like a lady and you have to, you can't sit with your legs open, got you with your mouth closed and keep your finger out of there, you know? So I was like, I would go and play with these kids. So the secret, I'm gonna tell you guys, the secret to good dialogue. This what I've learned is that it's as a writer I listen I like to listen so you catch like the bus and since I live in DC I've lived like in a lot of places but I've catched public transportation and you sit and you listen not only to what people say but how they say it which makes it more authentic but then conversely with root work having grown up with always having a sibling around me then you mm. kind of can take that those lessons that you've learned like when you fight with your sister like I was just telling her <laughs> today and I'm just like you know mom I remember you know I, I was working with a guy and he's an only child I said yeah I could tell you're an only child and he goes how can you I said because you don't know how to share anything you don't <laughs> and like well what does that mean and I'm like you know mom like when I was little I would have to it would always go like I found like with laundromat, and you know how you pull, they have those candy things in the seventies where you pull them and then the candy drops down. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing, I'm pulling, do, 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 do. And a bag of M&Ms fell down. I was so ecstatic. I was like, oh my God, yes. And I'm like, no, I can't show mom because then I have to share <laughs> with my sister. And sure enough, my mom comes like sashaying around the corner with my sister. And she's like, you know, you gotta share this with you. So I'm like, I know, I know, I know, you know. <laughs> so you you want to kind of take those lessons and things like you know that you've learned in life and try and put those down on the page now me being a woman of color you know black woman that grew up poor whatever my experiences are different now let's say can I compare myself to like a country white guy you know, because we would have heard some of the same things. Would that dialogue be as authentic? Well, I don't think so. I mean, in some sense, yes. But in some sense, there are words that like we use as Black people that, you know, white people don't use. And there's some words that they use that we don't use. But it's just all about the authenticity of it. Um, And 
then there's the ones that like force it. Like I was reading Lovecraft Country. Mm. I'm reading, reading, reading. And I'm like, this is just, I don't know. Something about this don't feel right. Because everybody went nuts over a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, something about this just, ah. And I said, well, let me look at this author picture. And I'm like, this is a white guy? Yep. <laughs> this is a, I'm like, he got it right historically, but yeah. the dialogue was yeah. just not right. That's <laughs> how so I'm going to put it. Yeah. It was so like, almost, I want to say forced. Because historically, yes, everything in there was right. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, when you're, as a writer, you listen and you read things differently. And you go like, oh, I could tell this did, dude did his research. He did his due diligence. But then mm-hmm. you hear and it's just like, well, I sure would like to go to the store over there and pick something up. And you're just like, oh, this is <laughs> I, even my child is offended by this. But <laughs> it's just, I don't know. My thing is like, now's the time for us to listen to stories that haven't been told before. So mm-hmm. like we have so many people of color coming forward and deciding to share their stories that instead of saying, you know, hey, get back, you know, it's like, we're, we're gonna take these stories. Like there's a whole website, a whole Twitter feed on men who write women. And you just sit there <laughs> as a woman and you just die laughing because every <laughs> woman wears like fuck me pumps and red lipstick. It does not matter. <laughs> And all of their breasts are perky and that's it, you know, and you just are like, oh my God. But you have like different interpretations. Like I just read an, um, I'm going to say an Asian readaptation of Frankenstein, which incorporated, it was a Unyieldy Creatures by Addie Sai, which was mm-hmm. really good. And I was just, but it, it incorporated some things in a different culture that I didn't know and some other language that I didn't know without making the language seem like the other. You know, there's a way that you can do mm-hmm. it where it's like italicized and people are going into that now. Do we italicize this because we're not familiar with it? But then we, in doing so, we make it into the other. So we don't want to do that. We just want to, mm-hmm. you know, I think she was italicizing or I'm sorry, they were italicizing for the emphasis of it as opposed to the otherness of it. But now's the time for everybody, including myself, to sit back, read, listen, and learn because the stories are coming forward and we need to get more diverse stories. Mm. It has always, you know, and no offense to you guys, but white men have always been telling stories like forever. Like, you know, you start talking about horror and everybody runs and goes, Oh, Stephen King, this Stephen King, that and I'm like, bruh, no, 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 not on this page. No, 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 no. But then I'm, you know, they're like, well, well, you know, Tracy, you don't like Stephen King. What do you like? I like Beaumont. I like Madison. I like the old school horror because it was more psychological. It was more thinking mm-hmm. horror. There was no like sacrifice, you know, like, uh, like, like some people, you know, like you were saying earlier when you were saying that, I was thinking like in many of the horror stories that I read when I was coming up, which were not many. Because like I said, it was the 80s. The black guy was always the first one to die. Always the smartest one in the room and the first one to die. And and we're just like sitting there as a child. I would sit with my cousins and we'd be like, bet you this brother gonna die in the first 20 minutes. And I mean, it was just like, oh, like, I bet you these milk duds. You know, I mean, it's just, sure enough, we're like, oh, but... I remember we watched the movie and a black guy made it all the way to the end. And we were like, yes. And, you know, <laughs> and then 
like day of the like uh night of the living dead he dies and you just you know it's like oh i oh you might built that you bastard you know just and he's just like he made it so far well now is the time for the black guy to survive and you know like everybody's living in my books you know maybe i if you piss me off and i work with you you will die <laughs> I will put a very thin veiled version of you in my books and I will kill you the most savage way that I can. But now in these books, the black folks are living, the black chicks are powerful in my stories because that's what I can relate to. I mean, I'm not a dude. I can't relate to like being a dude or having a dude living all the way through the end. But I will say that women are survivors. I mean, you know, it, mm. it not work. But it's now the time for all of us to listen and learn. To other people so you know to that end i i think that ties into a little bit of what root work really is because uh, uh it's not just a horror novel you know it's it's also a buildings roman um in a lot of ways and i i find that to be really interesting because that is not a pairing that i see very often in horror and um i i think that it's really special too because it's it's not just a buildings roman it's it's a buildings roman about young women of of color um and you know set in a a, a specific time period that i find to be you know just full of all kinds of of challenges that we as maybe a modern audience know um but these girls are coming up and and kind of having to learn the world that they're in um and at the same time trying to it really kind of uncovered their own agency in the world they live in. You know, I, I love the incorporation of the, um, the hoodoo magic, you know, as, as kind of a, a means of, of giving these young women uh, power and, and helping them understand, you know, the, the power of, of their, their selves, their beings as they're, you know, growing up over this summer in Louisiana. Um can you talk just a little bit about why you you went with the angle of the buildings Roman in this novel as opposed to like just adult characters? Buildings Roman is something I've never heard before. Oh, so. really? Maybe I'm just showing my like my elite education over here. No, your your coffee. I I told you I had no coffee today, man. <laughs> <laughs> But Trevor just likes to show off. That's it. He just likes to show yeah, off. Yeah, so. uh, you know, but I uh, I have all this education and I do nothing with it. So. it so. Okay, you got like a British sounded name, so I, I would expect I, nothing less. I mean, my fa- I'm not gonna lie. My father is actually a British immigrant. Like he, he was no. born in Britain and came over. Yeah. There we go. So talking about the girls, um, I so you know it's like this when you're little. You seem to think that your world is you. You know, like I used to be so like, and, and I look back and I'm just like, God, I was an idiot. But like, it's like, if I turn <laughs> off the TV, then whatever show is on, it'll stay paused until I came back to turn the TV back on. So your world is finite. It's very small, right? So mm. this is about these three girls learning not only do they exist in the world but that the world is so much bigger than what they think it is and that there's so much 
other out there. Like when Teddy tells her backstory and they're just kind of sitting there like, what? And it wasn't a hoodoo backstory. Teddy has a voodoo backstory. So mm. you just, and then the dad talks about to mom about the first black girl that went to school and he's just, and then, so they're hearing all these little bits and pieces of things that are going on outside and around them. And even when Pee Wee talks to the Indian guy that lives across mm-hmm. the road, yeah. it's like, you know, I know there's others of you out there. He's like, yeah, my people are everywhere, but I'm just here. So it's just like one of those things where I wanted the girls to be exposed to realizing unlike Tracy, that the world is bigger than them. And it just, it's bigger because like when I found out like, you know, like what Australia is a what, you know, <laughs> like, wait a minute, these people are upside down. And I was like, what is happening? Like, my world was just like destroyed. I was just I'm telling you, like I used to think like whenever there was a song on the radio, musicians would come in and set up and play the songs. I had no clue what the hell a record was. <laughs> so, and I was so scared to ask, but I'd be like, how can they get it done so fast in the studio? You know, and then as I learned more, my world got bigger. And then I realized, okay, you know, this isn't this or like I hear some ska from England and I'm just like, Oh my God, like they have ska over there and they have ska here. (laughs) There's just so many things. So the world just keeps getting bigger. So for these girls, especially Pee Wee, her world Mm -hmm. was so small. All Mm -hmm. she knew was this little bitty camp and the little bitty area that she's in. And then by the end of the book, she's like, yo, when I, when, when I say what I want to say and do what I want to do, y'all better watch out. Like everybody in the whole world need to watch out because it's going to be big and I'm going to take some people with me, you know? Mm. So that's just a little bit of what I grew up with and what I thought about um, when I was writing this, because I wanted to give it more authenticity. Like I thought Cleveland was the only city (laughs) i was just like there is you know somebody's like well i'm from arkansas so i would just think like okay it's cleveland and then it's arkansas and that's it (laughs) there's no one else there's no california you'd see it on tv and you really couldn't put it together but then you just kind of as you grow your world grows you know like even Mm. now i've discovered that i'm more particular to liking to read about um British horror stories or horror stories that takes place in England because I've never been. So when they mm. describe things, it's so much more different than what I'm used to now. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I think House of Hollow was one of those. Um, it was up for Stoker last year, really great book. Mm. Took place overseas and then they were kind of going through these phases and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so awesome, you know, <laughs> which is why I have a tendency to go further out with my horror in a more worldly sense because it's just so much more amazing mm. than like reading the same things not necessarily the same but almost the same locations over and over and over again does that mm. make sense mm-hmm. yeah it yeah. it totally does i i i totally see that kind of idea show up in the dialogue with um teddy and and peewee um as as peewee was you know kind of having her moment where she's like, well, maybe I'll just live out here with with the the Native American man and the horses. And, you know, like, this is, this is all I'm going to do. And she kind of says, 
are you really sure that you're going to do that? Like, do you feel like you know how to survive in the world with your little nine-year-old mind? <laughs> um, and I, I just, I loved that conversation because I felt like, uh, again, it, there's a, an authenticity to the characterization too. It's not just in the dialogue because I think, you know, Pee-wee and Pee-wee's concerns, her wants and needs as a character um, are all wrapped up in like her little nine-year-old ego. Um, and, and Teddy, you know, this, this woman who has so much more experience and knowledge than Peewee does at that point is, is, you know, kind of trying to talk to her and, and be real with her, you know, for a moment and, and, you know, kind of check her a little bit and say, you know, this is not everything there is to your lived experience there's a lot more you don't know and maybe instead of making up your mind about how the world's gonna be you know like like learn some stuff well teddy brings like a bit of excuse me gravitas to the situation (laughs) (laughs) um because you know we all were there right like you you Mm -hmm. you tell your parents like i'm gonna run away from home and it'll be so much better without you and then you pack your little bag up you get on your little bike and you go to the corner and you're standing there screaming and peeing on yourself because like this is not (laughs) world (laughs) like like why didn't someone stop me you know (laughs) you know like you're supposed to love me and come save me and they're just like no keep going keep going go you know You you have Teddy who's just like now hold on Teddy's the aunt it's just like just come back here and learn a little bit more before you go off and thinking that you know everything because when we were all young face it we all knew everything till we were like twenty four <laughs> like I know all there is to know and there's nothing that you can tell me because I'm an adult and da 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 and then you grow up and you found out like probiotic is the opposite of antibiotic and you're like what. <laughs> <laughs> When I take antibiotics, it makes no sense, you know. So just <laughs> like that whole rude awakening. But yeah, I because Betty is already assured. She knows, you know, she has a little boyfriend. They've gone into town. They've seen the school, so she knows. Like, okay, there's more to it, you know. Mm. His mom has a store, you know. Anne is just kind of like, I hate this place. I need to get <laughs> away from this place. No, right here, I can go with with Teddy for the summer and learn a trade. And then I can get away from this place knowing that I can do something different. But Pee Wee is just that, that, that little small curious kid in all of us. That's just like, I don't want anything to ever change. Like, you know, you have your little best friends. You're like, I wanted to stay in this moment forever. And and then, you know, somebody goes off and hits adolescence and you're like, what happened? (laughs) oh i'm much older now i I understand that you're an idiot so it's just (laughs) that's how i knew by the way that you had siblings too because i have you know i've got brothers and i'm sitting here reading how each of the three of them pick on each other like they know which buttons to push Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh yeah yeah she was raised with siblings she's and there's like the one where peewee's in the middle (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. come on come on and it's just like everybody has that moment you know regardless of what not you have to my grandma had I want to say about 16 siblings so it comes down to like um I think it's like it's more than 10 but less than 20 so it's like you know when you meet someone somewhere and you're like so before we even think about doing anything here can you just run me down on your whole 
background, all of the names that your family has, because <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to have no two-headed babies, you know? And it's just like, wait, I don't understand. You, know? you end up like, I met a cousin in DC and I'm just like, see, see, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like, oh, you want to go out? Like, wait, what's your, what's your people's name? Oh, Cross? Yeah, see, see, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you don't know. I know. No, we're not doing anything. We're probably cousins. Get away from me. <laughs> ancestry line or whatever that is. I'm sure I'm in there somewhere. Well, maybe maybe that's a, a southern thing. I don't know. You know, my my family was all kind of small, but uh, my wife's side of the family, her grandmother is one of like 12. Um, and I just, it blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know that someone could have that many children. Like, yeah, it, it's, you, just, it's crazy I'm to like, me. I felt bad for my grandma's mom. I'm just like, oh my God, like at what point did her uterus fall out? Like, Jesus. <laughs> conversely, remember that was a time when the kids were working and mortality rates were high. So yeah. it was just like, I'm just going to keep popping babies out till they live past five and then, you know, we'll be good. So, <laughs> I mean, I would just, I would not want to be like my daughter's father. He's from El Salvador, my youngest daughter. And I was talking to him and I was like, um, so what is it like? You know, cause I've never been. And he's like, well, you know, we were really poor. We grew up in the countryside and I'm like, so did your mom have like a midwife or like, you know, there's like nanny y'all, like, what's up? And he was just like, well, she would kind of just be ready and we'd get all the plates up off the table. And then she'd be like, go get the nurse. It's time for me to have a baby. I'm like, right where y'all was eating dinner? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, she'd get up on the table, like, go get her. And I'm just like, holy crap, Amonga. I would not have even... Yes, like it's just like take your bowls outside. Mom's having another baby, y'all. I, I could not imagine this. Like in all, and this is when I become like the total wide-eyed idiot American because I'm just like, so wait, yo, mama just got up on the table and had a whole ass baby. Serious, <laughs> you know. But he could totally relate to my mother because my mother had like two brothers and a sister. And they were sharing stories like, <clears throat> like, you know, fresh killed chicken is the best chicken. And my sisters and I, born and bred in the city, we're like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> take it, you pluck it, you, you boil it, and you pluck the feathers off. And, oh, it just tastes so delicious. And then my mom's like, yeah, my grandfather used to pay me quarters to catch the chickens after they cut the heads off. And my sister's like, savages, savages, you know, and I'm just like... I want my meat dead in plastic under lights. I cannot live like this. I cannot live like this. And they're just like, this is just the best. You know, and I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, my little sister, like, just stopped talking. Like she just, she traumatized, but she just was like, what the hell is happening? You know, and they're just like, why you guys all look like you're going to throw up? And it's like, dude, I'm killing a chicken and catching it for a quarter. Like, what the hell? Like, what? You know, I just know all of this is wrong. <laughs> so wrong. It's a wrong world. Like, what the hell? Why would you do that? Because I have another sister that's very logical. And she's the why one. Like, why? Why would you do that? Do you cut the heads off for fun? Well, we're going to eat it anyway. So we might as well have some fun with it before we <laughs> <laughs> just like, what? 
oh lord have mercy i mean just i couldn't I, put me back the oh child no, no. <laughs> even now um my daughter's father went home and he called me he's like yeah i'm in the country we don't really have a whole lot of internet out here so i have to call you like when we go to the city and i'm like still <laughs> 23 brother still and he's like look we just got a two-lane road like last year and i'm just like i mean it was just like oh but then he tells me about like the majesticness of it. He's like, you know, it's like 76 degrees all year round. And we got the mountain breeze and mangoes just grow from trees. I'm like, why are you here? Why? <laughs> you know, we catch our food down by the river and we eat here. And, and I'm just like, bro, like, why are you here? Because that sounds like totally ideal. My ass would be up in a hammock, peeling mangoes. <laughs> all day long like with i'd probably have somebody ship me like a ton of books and you would never see i look like some kind of robinson caruso character coming out of the jungle <laughs> hey send me some more books you know <laughs> just i just i there's a big disconnect man like i'm telling you i remember like when we were younger they would take us like these different places in cleveland like gardens and stuff and so that's how I thought food grew. So when my grandparents bought a house in the country. I was like, what the hell is this? You know, we had to drive by these big old tobacco leaves and stuff. And I'm like, oh, we are just going to die. Like, what? <laughs> like, this is just so much stuff out here. You know, to land and you didn't see anybody. And then it would, it would get dark. And it would be like black night, and it would be like, and you're looking out the window, going, "God, if you could just turn on a nightlight, just something, please. I need help out here." And my grandma's like, "Shut up and go to sleep." I'm just like, it's so dark, I can't sleep in the dark. I'm just, I'm a through and through. I'm not even ashamed to say that. Yes, I'm weak. If I hear an ambulance or a gunshot once in a while, I can't get to sleep. Oh, this is sad. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up in the, the, the I mean, I've, I've grown up all over. I, I lived in, um, I was born in California. I lived in Colorado. I lived in upstate New York. I moved to Kansas um, and then came to Arkansas for, for my grad degrees. Um, so I, I, I've been to you know, kind of the larger towns, the, the, the bigger places. And I've also been in the County. That's like, did you know, we're getting a roundabout and everybody's just like talking about like, <laughs> this is going to, you know, ruin traffic around here and, and, and people, you know, picking up picket signs because they don't want this roundabout to come through town. It's going to ruin, <laughs> you know, ruin town, but also, you know, counties where it's like, there's one stoplight in the entire County. That's, that's like the, the norm in a lot of places I've lived. I'm just happy we can buy beer like, on Sunday what now. What do the cops do? Like, what do the cops do there? Do they just like sit at the one stoplight and they're like Jethro, Jethro, watch, he's gonna yeah. run. You know, yeah, like, they do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's basically what they do. Uh, and and the the person that they always pulled over was my sister because she was just like, I don't know, speed limits or guidelines, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had a boss that would speed, and he would get tickets. And he would just say, how much is the ticket? And he would just write a check, give it to the cop with the ticket. And, <laughs> off. and I'm like, you, sir, 
have cojones. <laughs> <laughs> my, I would never. I'd my sister was on a first name basis with all of the traffic cops in our little town. She she'd go blowing through, and they'd stop her. And they'd be like, "All right, Alyssa, what's what was the the emergency today?" And she'd look at them and just be like, mm, "I'm going to be late to class." <laughs> Quota. Quota. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. It was a wonder she didn't have her her keys taken away. It was wild. I know she's helping to meet their quota. You know, they have to meet a quota with Mm -hmm. right. Oh yeah. Every month. That's why you see more cops out towards the 17th of the month, usually because they're like, oh shit, we gotta get quota. You know, I used to work in a police station. I'd see the tickets. You could just tell. You could just write, like, do graph. Like, don't try (laughs) one these days, guys. They're going to come out. Nobody met quota this month. It was just kind of (laughs) But you you know. You definitely know. Because then they'll get you for, like, all the little things. Like, you have a booger hanging out of your nose. That's an ordinance. And you just, like, (laughs) tickets. And you just you just want to look and go. So I guess you met your quota for the month, then, huh? You know, well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sarcasm. That's another chicken. Yeah, I met my quota. <laughs> so I know that you uh, you do read a lot of of stuff. Um, what are some of the things that that you've read recently, or or um, you know, do do have you read anything that you think? Um, like more readers should really start paying attention to. Hmm. I am such a fickle reader. And <laughs> the tragedy of this is that I work in a library. So <laughs> there in lies the rub, but <clears throat> I see a lot of trends happening that I have problems with. Like the new trend is to have a LGBTQIA person you just throwing them in the plot. Mm. Just, just throwing them in there. Why? Because I want to say that I did it. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I got me one. Yes. And then, you know, let's throw in a, a, a brown person too. You know, It just, it hurts so much. But I will say my thing now that I'm reading and I'm falling heavily into a dark academia, which when I was younger, like, we didn't have all these aesthetics you know we did not have this it was just like you read Stephen King or you read something from the 50s or you were just shit out of luck buddy but (laughs) there was not like uh cottage core and and dark academia and light academia and all of these little cores and things so I'm like I didn't what this is a whole aesthetic like this wait schools the what like I just read um the secret history by Donna Tartt there's Mm. a book all the cloisters because since I'm in horror I read some horror but I don't read a whole like I just try to read a little bit of everything mm-hmm. like you know Unruly Creatures was a good one <clears throat> with Addie Sai um there's uh the Reaper book by Brian McCauley who was really yeah. good mm-hmm. yeah that was really good I read that I'm like oh I could read this Clown in a Cornfield which I always keep thinking should be like a country song like some mechanism <laughs> going clown in a cornfield to flash you but I just <laughs> and I couldn't get into the second one but that's because I have the tension span of a gnat I'm like here's the key you gotta make something good like the first 10 pages for me and then I can get into it now 
I'm at work talking to my fellow coworkers and my manager's like, well, I, I give it a hundred pages. I'm like, oh, sweetheart, that's a book. Like, <laughs> if you don't catch me in the first 10 pages, if you don't catch me in the first three sentences, I'm out. You know, and she's like, mm. really? Like, yeah, my sister gives it 25 pages. We all have our limits, but yeah. I, <clears throat> I have been reading more of color horror, if I can use that. I don't know if that's an aesthetic or not, but we'll have to wait and see. But <laughs> I have been um, definitely supporting like a lot of women authors, like the Candisha Press books. Very good. And of course, I cannot not say Dark Heart, which is like my publisher. <laughs> Great. You know, I am all about, I get in, you know, like every horror writer, but I don't know, maybe I'm different because I have the attention span of a gnat, but I flutter from thing to thing. So like for a while, I was like, I need to read as many haunted house books as I can. Now, what I mm. really like is a good book on possession. Like if you can give me a really great book where people are possessed and doing shit, oh my God. Then you bring the devil up in there and you just are like, ah! Jackpot! <laughs> I have been consuming those. Like, uh, all these humble delights is it by um he's on dark heart cs humble's book oh yeah yeah all these subtle deceits that's what it is yeah that, that just came out this year didn't it yeah it just came out not too long ago and he's d- doing a trilogy as well so i'm like oh i have to start this you know you, you pick <laughs> them up and you kind of gather them all together well i do and then i hold them and i just look at them and i'm so excited <laughs> there's going to be so much hell up in these books. I cannot wait. (laughs) Like Bentley Little, um, The Haunted. This book was really good. It got a little milk soppy for me towards the end. But, um, and then it's the Atlas Six. Oh, yeah. Olivia I looked at that book. I tried to, first I tried to read it. Didn't work. (laughs) Then I tried Hmm. to listen to it. And it just makes me more appreciative of being in the Horror Writers Association because there's so many editors and fellow mm-hmm. horror writers that will pull you and tell you like, yo, you're saying this way too much. Like in that book, in like five pages, there were 30 eyebrows cocked. She cocks a brow. He <laughs> cocks a brow. Oh, she yeah. cocks a brow. And I'm just like, there's so many of this. Like, where is your editor? Because I know my editors would be like, yo, Tracy, can you think of another way to say, like, I'm mad without saying I'm mad? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it becomes too much for me. But, yeah, I'm really, like, now I'm all about, like, the possession and all of this. Just if they made Hereditary, the movie, like, into a book, I would just eat it. I would, even, <laughs> I would just totally eat it. But um, I am looking for other books like Root Work, kind of. I always keep my eye out open for those, mm. and I'm not really seeing a whole lot of it. So I just go with like more women-driven, more women-written, because I like to see women doing smarter things and surviving at mm. the end of stuff. Because for the longest time, you guys were holding it down. But now, you know, I will sacrifice the two of you (laughs) so that I can make it out in the end. It's like, um, what was the movie where the girls were underground? Oh, was that Descent? The The Descent. Descent? Yes. 
And she right. kills her friend, and then she comes up out of that hole, like, oh, Jesus. And then, like, everybody's dead. And she just comes out. That would be me, like, crawling out, like, oh, my God. I cannot even believe I made it out of here. And just kicking everybody at my feet behind me, like, get off. Get off of me. You don't get to split. <laughs> well, I don't know how many books are like Root Work. You know, again, I, I read all over the place. and But this was a really unique book. I I don't know how many books there are that are like this that are out there. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think this book is so important and and I hope starts a trend with readers who read this and say, you know what, I really want more of that. You know, I want more of these kinds of stories. I want more of this kind of authenticity, you know, brought to our characters, to our dialogue, to our settings. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, it. It goes back to that whole like. You have to listen to your ancestors, okay? You mm-hmm. need to listen and you need to write those stories down because they're important. And when they're gone, there'll be nobody else to tell those stories. So <clears throat> the stories that my aunt told me, my great aunt told me and my grandma, you know, and then my grandfather told me his story about, you know, getting out of the military and coming back to Anniston, Alabama, experiencing a huge huge horrible thing with the Ku Klux Klan um Mm. it just was horrible but I need to tell it because Mm. if I don't then you know people like well it's a family secret you can't tell no I'm telling it because it needs to be told and I don't want somebody to say well you know I heard the story no now you have the book Tracy told all about her family in that book. And when I'm dead and my kids are living off residuals, God help them, then <laughs> be like, mom told us this. You know, I remember this. Like, you know, I remember all of these things. Like, I feel that as writers, period, we are the ones that uphold history. You know, mm. we need to share the tales. We need to tell the tales. Like, I was on um, another podcast and I was talking about my great aunt. And she had the order of her brothers right. She was she was trying to get them. She's trying to get them all. <laughs> and I said, well, and this is a little bit in book two. Because after they leave Louisiana, they go somewhere else. So I, she went to, they, they moved to the um, Appalachian Mountains, which I was like, what? You know, <laughs> y'all are black. Y'all went where? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> We lived in Kentucky in the Appalachians. And I'm like, oh, here come the banjos. No, no. no. <laughs> like, yeah, we lived up there. They had a two, two-story house and everything. And um, then she said, yeah, it was Goldstone times like that. And I'm like, what's she now? And she goes, Goldstone times. And she's telling me, like I knew. And I'm like, um. How do you interrupt without being a dick? And I'm just like, well, I don't know what that means. And she goes, Goldstone, you know, like rich, rich times, you know, like everything was good. We had money. It was like, great. We had our own field. We would pick our own cotton and, you know, sell it and stuff. And it it was, it's like, that's a word that's forgotten. So you don't want like somebody from like National Geographic going and hunting my family down and trying to, you know, tell us some funny words <laughs> you used to say, you know, that we think are funny. You just kind of want to start to incorporate those in and tell these stories where they're mm. not forgotten. So that's what I think our job is to do. And I, I really hope because when I was coming up, 
I read a lot and I still read a lot today. And I emphasize that with my kids, my um, nieces and nephews read a lot as well. I mean, we can, you know, you get so excited when I bring home arcs and I'm like, you guys have <laughs> arcs. Like, oh, yes, you know, as opposed to like a bunch of candy. And then it's just like, like my youngest daughter does not eat candy. She gets more excited over fresh fruit. So when we started growing our own fruit, she's like, oh, mom mom let me tell you something you know but then you bring her home like some candy and she's like what the hell is this and it was like <laughs> a bat sitting in the bowl and so it's just like you know you kind of got to encourage it and you want to do but I just really hope that more kids take it upon themselves to write and to share and to do mm-hmm. without feeling like they are going to be called a nerd or a geek or a pariah or whatever because these are the important stories like I would pay cash money to read like a what like a a new adult Native American fiction mm. with like black people in it because you know blacks and Native Americans hung mm. out together and you gotta wonder like what kind of shit happens when these two cultures <laughs> cross over and then you got like a like a a Wendigo, but it's like a black Wendigo. You know, you just like what? what? You know, this through the woods. You know, like oh my god, like this is gonna be so awesome. Like, what's your Wendigo story? Like, well, my Wendigo likes cornbread. You know, it's just it just I don't know. It's so many things could happen. But it it's just like you have because cultures have to merge, right? At mm-hmm. some point, it yeah. all happens. Like. These tales that I'm telling have probably been spun. I know that like as my mom gets older, we have to start like taking a pen and pencil and writing stuff down. Because mm. if she gets older, she becomes more southern. And then she turns into like her mother. So <laughs> we're like sitting and listening one day. And she goes, Well, Tracy, I'm gonna tell you something about that that Chloe Kardashian. And I'm like, Oh, what is this? And she goes, What you get at the giddy up is what you get at the roundup. Okay. And I'm just like, oh, really, girl? At the giddy up, you say? And she's like, mm, the giddy up, you get it wound up. You hear what I'm talking about? I'm like, I have no clue, mommy. I have no clue. <laughs> or like, she was talking about somebody, and she said, you know, she got her whole foot in that lion's mouth, and she better move slow to pull it up. And I am like, what? What is this? What is this? Like, we have surpassed Ebonics. We've just gone into like some other like world. What is happening? <laughs> so <laughs> you have to write it down and then you have to go back. Like, I have to write it down. And then when like my mom's feeling more relaxed, I'll go back like, so mom, on August the 13th at about 6.58 p.m., you said the following. What the hell does that mean? You know, and she's just like, <laughs> Oh, like the foot in the lion's mouth. It means like, you know, you are in it. You are in the shit <laughs> as far as you can go. And to get out of that situation, you don't want to go and jump out and do something stupid, right? You want to kind of slowly ease out of that situation. Don't tell nobody what you're doing. Don't let nobody know your plans. And then it's done. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Why couldn't you just say that? Because the lion's mouth thing just works a little better for me. Like, <laughs> I would say these things to my children and they would just walk away. Like, <laughs> I, See, I, I, or like, you know, my brother-in-law once he told me, he said, I cook something. And it was when I first moved down to DC and he goes, you know, you put your whole foot up in this. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> and he's like, you put your whole foot up in this meal. And I'm like, oh, I did not, sir. Oh, <laughs> I did not do that. And he's like, wait, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you are accusing me of something very unsanitary. Why would I put my <laughs> And then my sister pulls me aside. She's like, you idiot. He's telling you that it's really good. And I'm like, well, then why the fuck can he just say that it's really good instead of lying <laughs> that I took off my shoe, walked in the kitchen, and just jumped up on the counter, stuck my foot in the pot of greens. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, but I'm trying. This is also why you sit on the bus or on the metro or wherever you are and you listen to dialogue because I know that when I come down to Arkansas, I talk way too fast. <laughs> and they tell me, like, hey, New York, slow down. You know, <laughs> what? Like, but then my daughter's father from El Salvador, my neighbor was from the Honduras or somewhere or Nicaragua. And he tells her, why are you talking like you have a gun in your head? And I'm like, well, it's not just like Americans or us. It's like everywhere. And I'm like in the middle of this going, what? And he's, she's talking like she got a gun in her head. Why are you talking so fast? And I'm like, well, everybody doesn't talk slow like you, sir. And, you know, you then you learn like the dialects, like, you know, we all learn Mexican Spanish. And then in Central America, like they like to chop these words up in some parts of it. And you know, it's not like por favor, it's porfa. And you're like, what? Like he's like, oh yeah, I need something porfa. And I'm like, are you calling me a dolphin? What? Porpoise? And it's just like, needless to say, there's a reason why I'm single. But <laughs> nevertheless. It's, it is, it's it's important to listen which is the gist of all of this listen carefully and and when you listen like don't look that's the other important thing because people will look and listen and then you get that one crazy dude on the bus that turns around and goes why are you looking at me and you're like oh, oh, oh shit I was caught no no but I've learned to like put it like an earbud in and then you just kind of drop your head down and you just listen and people will say anything. And I mean, I, mm -hmm. I speak Spanish. I hear some of the most bizarre conversations and I'm like, you think nobody knows that you got your foot stuck up in that garbage can, but I tell <laughs> that whole story or like a guy was talking about his wife being so fat after she had her baby and half of me wanted to get up and go like, well, why don't you get your fat ass over there and work out with her? Maybe she'll be sexy again. <laughs> you know, I couldn't say that. I'm sitting on the bus and there's like four of us. And you can't laugh at like an opportune moment because <laughs> they'll know. They're like, she's laughing at the right time. That girl fucking speaks Spanish. Oh, shit. You know, so <laughs> you can't do any of that. You just kind of got to keep your head down and just listen. And, you know, you can even, I used to take a, a tablet and I'd write down because there are so, so many turns of phrases here in D.C. that I did not know what what these people I'm like oh no what is that is oh that sounds nasty and then I like wait till I got like alone with some of my DC friends like what does this mean what is a Bama you know <laughs> <laughs> oh that's 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 a country person and I'm like oh so would that be like Alabama or and they're like no Tracy it's just the Bama you know like what this is weird <laughs> but everywhere you go you know it's like that mm. but then you can kind of once you learn and listen 
and hear how people talk to each other, then you can write better dialogue and you can learn to incorporate some of that into your own work mm. um, and have it sound more authentic. Like, you know, Trevor, I'm not sure if you have siblings, but you know, <laughs> if you have siblings, you know how those fights go because no one oh, ever yeah. finishes saying anything. It's like, well, you no, uh you no, uh shut up. I'm going to tell. Like that's an entire paragraph, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> between two people. And you just you have to just really draw on it. I think that's one of my strengths. A lot of people say your strengths are your dialogue because because I listen. I just. I listen. I love listening to people. I could just ride trains all day and listen, but you know, I have like to get a job and <laughs> you know, back to that whole bathing thing. <laughs> but well, if you get close to me, I don't smell bad. I think at StokerCon, I was bathing. We, we we've shared a couple of elevators together. I'm pretty sure. I, I, <laughs> it's it's not bad. It. I'm pretty it's sure I know that. Yeah. I'm yeah. right there with you though. My 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 mom's father. He was like born in like the ni- 1920. He was like grew up in the Great Depression. He didn't have much of an education, but he would always confuse those idioms. So he yeah. used to look at us very seriously, and he'd say, "It's like a bird in a tree." And he was confusing that whole bird in a tree is worth two in the, you know a bird in a hand worth two in the bush. And he would just look at you and go, "It's like it's like a bird in a tree." And finally, I was like, "What?" What is like a bird? <laughs> what does that even mean? Where are you going with this? I know once my grandma, my dad's mother, told us about growing up in a depression. And you never, like, if you have grandparents, love them and appreciate them because bitches, there's something you never like. I am so hungry. I have not had anything to eat all day. And my grandmother is like, you know what we ate during a depression? And you <laughs> feel it coming. And she's like, we ate cardboard with ketchup on it. <laughs> and you were just like, what? That's how hungry we were. We ate cardboard with ketchup. Okay. Well, now take your ass in the kitchen and eat that molded bread and bologna. Go. Like you feel so my, uh... awful, you know, or like my mom was like, my grandmother used to make, like she'd get some flour and some water and make like, these hoe cakes and you would eat them with like your dinner because then you drink water and you would get full faster that way you know if you didn't have a whole lot of meat so I remember I was talking to my niece and nephew once and they were like well we want this and we want that and I said you know what and I, I realized I turned it to one of them back in my day you know so I was just like <laughs> when I was younger we would have neck bones and potatoes and green beans and that was a meal and they were like neck bones from what and i'm like neck bones from a cow you would <laughs> dig through and eat the meat out and that's it and they were like oh dear god in heaven you know and then like my brother-in-law he was like we were telling him like the kind of desserts that we had because we were like poor so we would have like a piece of bread dipped in the juice from candy yams and that's your dessert you know that's the sweet or when we were living high on the hog, we would have biscuits with apple jelly. That's the dessert, you know, but these kids nowadays, they're just like, well, I want some ice cream, but I was I'm like, you know, let me tell you something. Back in my day, <laughs> a piece of bread and some yam juice, that was it. <laughs> you know, you're just like, what? Like, yeah. Like, even now, frosted flakes are an indulgence for me, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I ate so many bowls of cornflakes, I could have eaten the entire United States of America. <laughs> that and beans and rice. 
And if you ever see me, do not ever offer me beans ever. I've had all beans <laughs> and I made promises to myself at the table when I was like eight. Like my child will never know what a bean is because <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> Kidney beans, black beans, red beans. And you know, one day you just, you turn into that much of an asshole that you just look at your mother and you go, are we Mexican? And she's like, well, like, because we're having beans and rice again, mom. And it's just like, <laughs> go to your room. I go to my room or I'll eat the kibbles and bits and gravy bits, but I'm not eating another goddamn bean and rice, mom. I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I cannot. And thank you. You reminded me. I need to go uh, soak some beans. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> no beans. And you go to a restaurant and go, sin frijoles. And they're looking at you like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Is that even legal? Like, how do you, how do you eat? What? You don't want the beans. Like, yes. My daughter's father has finally accepted it. Like, we've been together for almost 20 years and he's finally accepted. Like, oh, she just don't eat beans, yo. Like, she's like, she just don't eat beans. And people are like, really? <laughs> we go out, they're like, really? Like, look, don't ask her, okay? Do not. Just give her the shit advice. <laughs> don't do it, you know? I'm like, thank you, baby. Thank you for handling that for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been absolutely wonderful talking to you, Tracy. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on with us and, and sharing this time. Um, where can people find more about you online? Well, it's Tracy Cross Online. Um, <clears throat> that's my 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 website. Uh, Tracy C. Writes is my Insta, my Twitter, but by the time this airs, I God only know. knows <laughs> what, you know, you can just Google me, Tracy Cross, and find me. I'm I'm everywhere, man. I'm on Medium. It's Tracy Cross. It's, it, I find it's a very common name. <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, um, someone else on Goodreads was getting all of my publish, publicity credits. Oh, yeah. Credit credits, and I'm just like, well... Uh, did you write anything good that I can take? <laughs> but there is a Dr. Tracy Cross. That's not me. That is still not me. So just I'm everywhere. And, you know, reach out through my website if you want to talk. I, I answer all email because I have like anything to divert from writing. <laughs> You're on Instagram. I'm always like, yeah, hi. Thank you so much. You know, and I know they're like, this girl is so sad. She responds to everyone. I'm like, no, I'm just trying not to write. <laughs> my brain. I'm trying not to like stumble over another trope again. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm trying not to do that. But yeah, everywhere. I appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully in the middle, we got some like nice meaty stuff there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. All right.